to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. If you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, um, hey, by the way, I'll move on after this, but let's like, so next Sunday, we're going to give you another opportunity, and you, you guys can do what you just did. That was awesome, man. Makes, man, super cool to see that. I love hearing all the talking. So Ephesians chapter 3. So speaking of relationships, again, we, we believe relationships matter, and that's because relationships matter to God. If you read scripture, he's all about relationships. And I was talking with Allie, uh, David's wife, that was singing up here over here this morning, and we were talking how sometimes, you ever notice that sometimes you're reading scripture and you feel like it has no idea what it's saying? Anybody be honest and say you feel that way sometimes? Uh, <laughs> my uh, preaching professor, he said sometimes, and this would be true if you're uh, preparing for a sermon, a sermon, <laughs> a sermon or, or just reading scripture, but he said sometimes you go to read the text and it's like a golden retriever, and it just rolls over on its belly, and it's just like, oh, you're so cute. And like, you just read it, and you understand it. And sometimes you read the text, and you're like, I don't even know what you are. Like, what is this? Are you attacking me? Like, it can, it can feel very confusing. Can I get a head nod if you feel that way sometimes? I think one of the reasons, and it was this case uh, with this passage this week, one of the reasons is because there were true, real deep relationships in Scripture. And so if you're not, if you, and we weren't because we weren't alive, if you're not part of that relationship, sometimes at face value when you first read the text, it can almost feel like you're kind of trying to listen in on a conversation that you're not actually a part of. Does that make sense? No, I, hear me. We are a part of it. This is God's Word intended for us. But sometimes we have to like get that first step of interpretation of realizing what, what was going on with them, what was going on in their relationship, and how does that affect us? Y'all with me? So like with a, an epistle, even though Ephesians is a very, you could say, you could say basic letter, like it's not, it's not very occasional, meaning it, it, it really, the truths very easily apply to, to all generations, even though that's the case, it was still, there were still some specific things going on. Paul was in prison when he wrote this, and he had already spent some time with the Ephesians, the Ephesian believers. And at the time that Ephesians was written, a lot of folks believe that he had probably been in prison about three years, which is a long time. And so in this text, in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, he's going to start to say something about, and he's about to pray for them, actually. And then as he starts to say something, it clicks in his brain that he needs to update them on his prison situation. Let me kind of explain it this way. If Pastor David, if you don't know who that is, if you're new here, he's our senior pastor, preaches every week in the, in the worship center, and gracious enough to let me preach in here in the venue. But if, think, he's been at South Christ, I think like 30-something years or close to 30 years, it probably sounds about right. And if he, after all he's done to invest in us as a church, if he was arrested and put in prison, wouldn't we start to, one, like we would worry about him, but also if he was arrested for preaching the gospel, wouldn't we even be a little frustrated with God and maybe like confused? All right, God, like when are you going to let him out of prison? What's going on here? So it, it would make sense that maybe Pastor David would write us a letter 
And in that letter, he would encourage us, hey, hang on, don't give up, I'm doing okay. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here with the Ephesians is he's, he's letting them know, one, he's doing okay, but also he's going to tell them kind of why he's in prison. I, I put it at the top of my Bible and uh, where this section breaks down, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, I think a question to help understand this portion of Scripture that maybe you could write on yours or in your notes is, um, God, why is Paul still in prison? I think maybe that's why Paul included this. It almost seems like a little rabbit trail. I think it's why I included it is because I think the Ephesians were probably wondering and struggling with, God, why is Paul still in prison? Like, what good is, is coming from this? So this morning, we kind of get to read their mail. <laughs> but I think it's a fair question maybe to ask you, maybe wondering, okay, cool for them, but how does that apply for us? Like, what? I know we haven't read it yet. We're fixing to. But how does this text that seems very specific for them, how does it apply to us? I think what's really neat about this passage is as Paul is telling them about why he's in prison and, and what's happening with him being in prison, what God has called him to, it's almost like he gives us a little bit of an autobiography. Anybody like to read biographies in here? <laughs> I got a lot of nope. <laughs> um, well, you, sh you should. I'm trying to grow in that. It's, it's cool to read a biography. What, um, besides like, it can be entertaining, what do you gain from reading a biography? Back. Knowledge. knowledge, is that what you said? Yeah, knowledge. I think you learn how they lived life, and you can t take those tips and live life as well, right? So I'm not real interested in reading a biography on someone that didn't live life well, or maybe I could read it to learn what not to do, right? But with Paul, as we read his story and kind of this little miniature autobiography, it also gives us a glimpse of what our lives as Christians and what us as a church fam, what our lives should be like. Does that make sense? So here's how we're going to approach this text this morning. It's almost like if you take your girlfriend into the diamond store, you're thinking about picking out a ring, um, which, by the way, Zach and Becker are getting married in like 20, 19, 19 days. Just give them a hand. It's pretty exciting. So maybe which their, their story has a really cool story how she got a ring, so I won't use it as an example. But if you take your, your girlfriend in the, in the diamond store, the ring store, to get a ring, at first you may just kind of give the diamond a, a good once over, right? Really kind of look at it a good glance, and then you may get into the specifics of like the clarity, the cut, and I don't remember the other C's, but the four C's, right? Color, I guess. Um, so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of give this passage a good, a good once over, and then towards the very end of the message, we're going to settle in on three things I think we can really learn from Paul. Does that make sense? All right, let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So let me stop. This is where the rabbit chase begins. <laughs> but it's a Holy Spirit-inspired rabbit chase. He says, verse 2, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made to the excuse me, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
So he's fixing, you're going to see in a couple weeks, he's fixing to go into prayer. And again, when he says, when he mentions, describes himself as a prisoner of Christ, that's when he says, all right, hey, by the way, let me remind you why I'm in prison. Let me update you on what's going on. And so he begins to tell a story of his calling. I love in verse 3, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As we just kind of look over this diamond real quick, here's something we can't miss. The gospel is not something that we made up. <laughs> the gospel was given to us by who? By God himself. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the gospel. He embodies the gospel. But it was delivered to us from God. We can make up a lot of cool things. Like the, the, the sport of football is a really cool thing, right? Maybe it's too soon. I shouldn't talk about football. Like uh, basketball, I'm terrible at it. But man, it's so much fun. I love LeBron James. Like it's fun. Humans have made up some really cool things. Humans could not make up the beauty of the gospel, that God would come and die in our place. So he says, man, this was given to me. The gospel was given as a revelation. And then he talks about the mystery. It's been kind of a theme in Ephesians. And he says, again, this is kind of in verse 5 and 6, the mystery of the gospel of God is that he made a way for all to be saved. Now, only those who place their faith in Christ are saved, but anyone and everyone, Jew or Gentile, can place their faith in Christ. doesn't matter your background, your race, what you've done. You can place your faith in Christ and be saved. So that, that was the mystery that's been revealed. And I love verse 5. It says, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it's now been revealed. Here's something that's really cool if you, as you read through Scripture. And I love the, um, the ESV study Bible. It describes it as a history of salvation. But as you read through the Scripture, you get glimpses and hints and some pretty bold statements about the gospel all the way through. I think it was W.A. Criswell, who used to be a pastor way back in the day at First Baptist Dallas, said that it's like a scarlet thread that runs through the Scriptures. Even in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, the ones that you skip past all the time, the gospel is even woven through there. But all through the Old Testament, it, they're kind of hints at the gospel and little pictures. And Paul's saying, we live in a time where we see the gospel and its unveiled clarity. We see it for all it's worth. And so you know what he's saying? We live at a privileged time. <laughs> and Paul's saying, I'm privileged to get to proclaim the gospel to you Gentiles. I love, I think it's in uh, 1 Peter 1. It says that angels long to look in to see the salvation that we get to experience. That the prophets from long ago, they saw little, again, little glimpses of the gospel, but we get to see the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. That apart from him, I'm more wicked and evil than I could ever dare believe, but in Christ, I'm far more loved and accepted than I ever dared to hope. That's good news, amen? <laughs> he says, this mystery is at the, gen I'm in verse six, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, he's, he's describing, he said, hey, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. And, and again, going back to this mystery, everyone who places their faith in Christ receives the promise of Christ through the gospel. What is the promise of Christ? I think the best way to understand that, he's not referring to just one single, like, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The idea here is that all of God's promises find their yes, meaning they're fulfilled in who? In Jesus, right? All of his promises 
are fulfilled. They're true. That they're, um, you can get them, so to speak, because of Jesus. They're fulfilled in Jesus. So again, no matter who you are, where you come from, he says, the promises of Christ are yours through the gospel. You get the promise of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit coming and living in you and empowering you to live for him. You get the promise that we mentioned a second ago, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You get the promise of reconciliation, that once you were far off from God, but now you've been brought close to God through Christ. You get the promise of future glory in heaven. All of these promises are yours in Christ. And what's he say? How do we get those promises in Christ? The end of verse 6, what's it say? Through the gospel. Through the gospel. So Paul's not going to let us get rid of this idea that you can't earn it. You can't earn your salvation. So he says, hey, this, this gospel I'm proclaiming, remember, it's right relationship with God. It's, it's heaven. It's forgiveness. It's purpose. It's redemption. Not through you being good. It's through the gospel, which Paul very simply says the gospel is that Christ lived a perfect life for you. He died for you. And three days later, he rose again, conquering death and sin and the grave. And Romans teaches us, in Romans 1, that through the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So meaning the, in the gospel, what we find out is it's not me earning my way to God, it's God placing his righteousness on me. And that's, that's good news. Paul's saying, man, that's what my life is about. It's for this gospel that I'm in prison. Y'all with me? Still with me? Okay. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Go back to verse 8. Again, we're going to spend a little more time giving this passage the once over like a diamond. Verse 8 says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Is Paul, let me ask you, do you think Paul, is he just being like, um, does he just feel like he has to be humble because he's in church? Like, to me, though, I am just a lowly, lowly, lowly saint. I, this grace was given to me. Is that what he's doing? No, and please don't be fake humble, right? No one likes that guy. I remember I had a professor in, uh, in Bible college who really was a great dude, but he was so worried about being humble that he'd be like, hey, I won't say his name, but doctor, you know who, um, do you mind if we pray for you? And he'd be like, oh, no, don't pray for me. And we're like, what is wrong with you? Like, that's not what Paul's doing. He's not being fake humble. No, he's saying, I'm the least of these. He's saying, do you remember who I was? I was out killing Christians. I was standing against the gospel. I was opposing the church. And yet, in spite of that, God saved me and called me to preach the gospel. So he's saying, I am not worthy of what God has called me to do, which we could all say the same thing. Amen. 
We are not worthy of what God has called us to do, of the salvation he's given us and the calling he places he places on each and every one of our lives. So Paul's not being fake humble. He's just magnifying the grace of God. He's saying, I was a wreck. I was a mess. And I was trying to wreck what God was doing. But in spite of that, Jesus saved me. He's magnifying the grace of God. And he says, so God saved me. I'm in prison for the gospel. And here's what I've been doing with the gospel. Verse 8, he says, I was given the grace of preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so here's the second thing. So first he's Preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to Christ. Did I say that right? Unsearchable riches of Christ. And the second thing is, he's bringing to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So he's saying, the calling on my life was to do these two things. Preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light the plan of the mystery of God. And again, that plan is that salvation is for who? Everyone, Right? The gospel opens up the door to salvation to everyone if they'll place their faith in Christ. You with me? But he says the first thing was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's such a cool picture. We, can, we know what unsearchable means. But in the Greek, um, I was about to make some stuff up anyways. But no, really, I don't, I don't know Greek that well. But in all seriousness, in, in the Greek, there's this idea of it's untraceable. So like I'm not a hunter. Um, maybe one day I will be, but uh, and I'll look at, but anyways, someone who's hunting, they may try to trace the animal, right? So they're looking for clues, and they, they want to they find it. They want to search it out. And the idea here is that the riches of Christ are untraceable. So you could like follow them and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn this corner. I'm going to fully see the beauty and the majesty and how amazing Christ is. And he's saying, you'll never get there. You'll never be able to fully, maybe in heaven one day, but here on this earth, they're unsearchable. You're never going to be able to fully grasp and see the beauty and the love and the majesty of Jesus. And Paul said, I get to preach that to people. That yes, the things of this world, they may provide a little temporary satisfaction, but the reality is there's always an end to their beauty or their glory. Paul's saying, my calling in my life is to preach the unsearchable riches, meaning my calling is to point people to Jesus, whose glory, whose majesty, whose newness, whose beauty, whose power never fades away, and you'll never see the extent of it. That's a pretty cool calling, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what God's called me to do. And he says, if you keep reading, he says, as I do these two things, look what happens. Verse 10, as I do that, I do these so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What in the world does that mean? So as I preach the gospel and people from every tribe, tongue, race, nation are saved, the church is formed. By the way, if you don't think church is important, this verse totally destroys any argument you have. <laughs> Through the preaching of the gospel, as people are saved, the church is formed. And the church, he says, in verse 10, makes known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the wisdom of God. What it means is Satan and all his evilness and all his dark demons and rulers of this world, so to speak, when they look at the church, it proves to them the wisdom and the majesty of God. There's a, he's passed away now, but there's a, 
New Testament scholar named E.F. Scott, I think what he wrote about this is really helpful. He says, the hostile powers had sought to frustrate the work of God and believed they had succeeded when they conspired against Christ and brought, his cru- brought about his crucifixion. But unwittingly, they had been mere instruments in God's hands. The death of Christ had been the very means he had devised for the accomplishment of his plan. So it is here declared that the hostile powers, after their brief apparent triumph, had now become aware of a divine wisdom they had never dreamed of. They saw the church arising as the result of Christ's death and giving effect to what they could now perceive to have been the hidden purpose of God. So y'all, the church has to, you know what the church does? It shuts the mouth of Satan. Because the enemy looks at the church and stands dumbfounded at the majesty and the wisdom of God. So does it matter that you're part of the body, the church fam? Absolutely it does. He says this was, verse 11, this was God's eternal purpose. This was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in him, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So because of Jesus, may he, Paul just keeps going back to Jesus, because of Jesus, we get to have a relationship with God, God Almighty, who we should, in the Old Testament, they, they cowered before and trembled in his presence. We get to enjoy a relationship with him because of Jesus. So he says, hey, I'm in prison for all of those reasons. <laughs> I'm in prison for the gospel. I'm in prison so the church will flourish and the church shows the majesty and the wisdom of God. So verse 13, so hey, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. And he says, it's for your glory. So he's saying, yes, I'm in prison, but there is a divine purpose. God has a divine plan. And it's, when he says it's for your glory, he's saying it's for your good. Like, you're going to benefit from this. You're going to grow even from my suffering because the gospel is spreading. Are you like me? Sometimes when you read Paul, you feel like, that bro is on a different level. <laughs> like, I, I'm reading that, one, he's just smart. But two, I'm like, man, his love for God and, like, his, his perspective on life blows my mind. Like, I can't imagine being in prison for doing what I'm doing and then being like, don't worry about me, God, or don't worry about me, guys. God is using this. Like, that's, that's legit hard for me to think about. But the reality is, because he's a brother in Christ and we're a church fam, <laughs> We can learn from our brother. We're not all called to be Paul, but I do think as Paul followed Christ and we follow Christ, our lives should look a little bit like Paul's. Does that make sense? So what I mentioned earlier, we've kind of looked at giving the diamond a good once over. I want to real briefly to help take all these concepts that he's talked about and give us a little something to walk away with, talk about three things from Paul's life that we see here, if this is kind of a mini autobiography, and look at those as they should be uh, descriptors of our life and really are descriptors of us as a church fam. So here is the first one, and that is the gospel is our mission. The gospel is our mission. That was so overwhelmingly clear with Paul. He says, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to talk about how good Jesus is. Question, 
Did God, has God called everyone in this room to be a preacher? No. To be, to be a missionary in a third world country? No. But does God call all of us to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to those around us and those in the world? Absolutely he does. Absolutely. The gospel is our mission. So we don't get a free pass of like, well, sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel, that's for pastors, that's for missionaries, that's for people who have been saved a long time. No. If you are a part of the church fam, meaning you know Jesus Christ, then the gospel is your mission. And y'all, we all have the same mission, but all of our methods could look different, right? Maybe you're in Greek life. You know what? Your method of how you accomplish the mission of sharing the gospel may look a little different than mine. If you are in marketing at a company, your method may look a little different, but your mission is still the same. If you're in the oil field, your mission is still the gospel, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to others, but your method may look a little different. The gospel is our mission. It makes me think of David Platt. This book's been out for probably, I don't know, 11, 10, 11 years now. He wrote a book called Radical. For a while, David Platt was the president of the International Mission Board for Southern Baptists. But in this book, he, uh, he, he has this metaphor, and he says, a lot of our churches, unfortunately, are more like a cruise ship. So we're just kind of all together. No, by the way, nothing against a cruise. I'm not making fun of a cruise, okay? But um, I've actually never been on one, even though I'm from Florida. That's kind of crazy. But he says, a lot of our churches, it's like being on a cruise ship. You're, go, you're on a destination. You're going to heaven. That's your destination. But you're just, you're just kind of hanging out, enjoying each other. You're not really worried about what's going on around you, though you, maybe you should be worried about what's going out, like if there's other boats approaching you. But um, he, he says, that's too much what our churches are like. May go, may go do life with some people if you want to, may not, may just stay in your room. He said, the, the picture of the church and the scripture is more like a naval destroyer. <laughs> Not that we're like, us against the world, we're going to conquer the evil one. <laughs> but that we do have a mission to take the gospel to the world. And we do have an enemy. And it's not the people of this earth. Who is it? Satan. It's the darkness of the evil one. So the question for us is, are we just playing church are we putting a dent in darkness? <laughs> Part of the reason I had us do the whole relational thing earlier is because the reality is, like, it's hard to, I think maybe a step, like this maybe seems weird, but a step towards being a naval destroy, destroyer is at first kind of like being on a cruise ship and that we got to know each other, right? Hard to go into battle together if you don't have some sort of relationship. I read... Um, who was the lone survivor guy? I can't think of his name. Marcus Luttrell's book. And he talked over and over again about how as, as Navy SEALs, it was about a brotherhood, right? We, it's hard for us to have a brotherhood or a sisterhood and be on mission together if we don't have relationships. Relationships are a step towards us being on mission for the gospel. How does God want you to put a dent in darkness this week? Let's ask him. Now, that, the gospel being our mission, if that really is our focus, like Paul, like, man, we're on mission for the gospel, it makes this second one, this kind of second um, truth of Paul's life that we see a little easier. So the second one is suffering is our friend. <laughs> that sounds like bad news, right? Suffering is our friend. And here's why. Here's what we see with Paul. 
Because God is in control and God is sovereign, sovereign, he uses all things for good. Even in difficult times, we can trust that God is going to bring something good from it. I think about in Philippians 1, Paul said, um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So that throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest, they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he says, all of these Roman soldiers, they know they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing about Jesus. And then he followed that by saying, and so many of the brothers, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So he's saying, yeah, I'm in prison, I'm suffering, but God is using it for good. People are being saved and he's growing other Christians. They're becoming more bold. So he's saying, in a sense, suffering is our friend. I think about Daniel when he was throwing the lines then. Like, as, as much as we make that seem like it was cool, and I'm sure it was cool, there's no way that wasn't terrifying, right? Like, if you're in the lion's den, and at any moment you're wondering, are they going to, like, are they just not hungry yet? Like, what's going on? You can't tell me there wasn't an element of suffering in there. But you know what happened after he suffered, you could say, in the lion's den, when he was eventually pulled out? It says that uh, King Darius, I think, is, yeah, King Darius, he saw what God did, the complexity of that suffering that actually God used, ultimately saved Daniel from. And the king said, there's no other God like that God. <laughs> God used Daniel's suffering, though he didn't let him die. He used his suffering ultimately for his glory and for good. There's no greater example than Jesus on the cross, right? His suffering brings us life and salvation. And that's the exact mindset that Paul has. Because my suffering is for your glory. Paul's mindset was not one of prosperity, not one of everything's perfect in this world once you know Jesus. It was, no, this world is tough, but God uses suffering for good. So suffering is a friend. So if you're going through hardship this morning, I want to encourage you to keep trusting God. To, like we sang in Waymaker, to say, hey God, even when I can't feel you, can't see what you're doing, I'm going to trust and know that you're working. Keep coming and being a part of what God's doing because suffering is a friend. And then lastly, I promise we'll finish here. I think the reason Paul could be so strong in the idea of the gospel is my mission and so settled and, and firm and constant. And yes, even in suffering, it's our friend. God's going to use it for good. I think it's because of this third truth we see in his life. And that is this third one that should also define us. Jesus is our all. <laughs> Jesus is our all. Isn't it so obvious from this passage that Paul wrote to them that Paul was crazy in love with Jesus <laughs> and like kind of obsessed with Jesus? Here's the reality. If you, if you look at Paul and you say, man, I could never be like that. I, I could never, like, I don't know how I could ever live every day on a mission for Christ. I would say that's understandable. And, and on your own, you can't. So I'm going to close with this metaphor that I think may, may help us a little bit. Lauren and I, this week, are going to get to take... Uh, take the kiddos to Florida for a family wedding, but we're going to take our uh, twins to the beach for the first time. Super excited about it. And I would not let them body surf. I plan on doing some sick body surfing out there. <laughs> Anybody ever been body surfing and talking about? 
Ten people, that's good. Okay. So um, put your hand. Um, yeah, just think of like if, if you've even seen a movie or whatever, like there's, it's like surfing but without a surfboard, so you just try to use your body. It's like boogie boarding, okay? But when you go to the beach, you're going to surf or body surf, whatever. Um, it's all about positioning yourself to catch the wave, and the wave has the power to move you. The wave is what does the work. You just need to position yourself, right? So really, body surfing, though it takes a little bit of like effort to position yourself, really, the wave does the work. And you're not going to be totally exhausted because it's what's carrying you. It's what's leading you to a particular destination as you kind of try to keep up and position yourself. I think what Paul made such an extraordinary brother, what made him such an extraordinary brother in Christ is he had positioned himself to ride the wave. The wave being a love for God. (laughs) And not just a love for God, but experiencing the power of God. There's no way you have a Paul-like attitude if you don't love Christ, right? Like doing things out of duty will only get you so far. Doing things out of delight will take you a lot further. I think Paul, it's obvious from the way he wrote, had positioned himself in the love of God so that the love of God, his passion for God, pushed him and drove him to be on mission for the gospel and to say, you know what, even if I'm suffering, it's going to be okay. And beyond that, it says that, I think it was in verse uh, 7 or 8, it said that it was his power, the grace of God working in him that allowed him to preach the gospel. So it's not just the love for God. It's also that as I position myself with Jesus and a love for him, his power works in and through me to grow me and to, to enable me to serve him how I need to. Does that make sense? So this morning, maybe the call for you is to realize you've just been doing things out of duty and just like, oh, I'll just show up at church. And maybe it's to realize this morning You've never had a delight in Christ, meaning you've never come into a relationship with him and known his transforming work in your life and all of a sudden felt kind of the wave of his love push you and change your life direction. Maybe this morning is for you to be transformed by the grace of Jesus. That's what happened to Paul. (laughs) Totally transformed him when he met Jesus. Or maybe you this morning, maybe just need to kind of align yourself a little more with the love of God. How do you do that? You get in his word. You spend time with him. Maybe you need to talk with him a little bit more. Maybe you need to be a little more consistent and involved in community at, at church or in your small group. Maybe it's when we're worshiping, choosing to sing and be engaged and do those things that stir your affection for Jesus. And as you do those things, you line yourself up to experience the love and the grace of God through your life. And I think when that happens, it becomes a little easier to say, I'm going to be on mission for the gospel and I'm not afraid of suffering because Jesus is my everything. He's my all. So we're going to sing a song. The band's going to come on up right now. We're going to sing this song that just rejoices in the gospel. And this is a chance, if you're a Christian, to kind of line yourself up and just remember the goodness of Jesus, that he is your all. And because of that, you're going to be on mission for him. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to invite you. I'll be back at the Welcome Center back there. If you're not a Christian, as we sing this song, I would love to talk with you about what it means to place your faith in Christ. If y'all would pray with me.
God, we're grateful for your word and the example of Paul, Lord. I pray that you would instill, a, instill in us a desire to be on a mission for you wherever and however we live our lives. And Lord, to embrace suffering, to not be afraid of it. And God, I pray that even as we sing this song, that you would stir our, our love for you, our delight in who you are and what you've accomplished for us through the cross. And that, that love would push us like a way, would motivate us to live for you. God, we love you and trust you're going to do big things in our hearts as we sing. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the venue podcast. Thank you.